Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Rachel Herron, the best-selling author of almost 20 books, both fiction and memoir, and a person who is proud to be a New Zealander as well as a U.S. citizen, although her Kiwi accent only comes out when she's very tired or very drunk. I don't believe you are either of those things at the time. I am mostly neither right now. Fantastic. Uh, Rachel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Congratulations on writing... Not 20 books. <laughs> What's it going to take to get you to 20? <laughs> Finishing the thriller that is about to kill me. Is that going to be number 20? Yeah, no, that's going to be 19. Number 20 is also mostly in the can, though. Nice. So, okay, so you've got a plan to hit I, 20. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then you can just walk around I saying things I should just say 20, like, because who challenges you on that, really? I mean, me, clearly. <laughs> I straight up was like, you haven't written 20 books. What's this almost business? I'm a failure. Um, that is amazing. It's what, pretty cool. What of the 20 was, like, the most difficult book to write? Was it number one? Number one was okay because I accidentally got it right. Um, Mm -hmm. Number two, when I was under contract, um, and I had six months to write a book instead of the two years I'd spent writing the first book. Um, Yeah, that's the one where the editor came back to me. She said, well, you are a great writer, but you have no plot. You must learn now how to write a book because the first one was an accident. This is so much why I'm sort of hoping I can keep sending book proposals to my agent and never write a novel. I just sent off my third one, which I was very jazzed about. It is super not a novel, and it does not have a plot, which is great. Um, But the title (laughs) does come from an episode of The Simpsons. So, you, can you share that on the air? Probably, sure. I mean, working title is Yeah, I'm I'm sure I shouldn't, but like also who <laughs> we'll cares? All forget. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, who yeah. cares? Um, so it's a line from uh, Lionel Hutz, who's a lawyer that The Simpsons are always uh, hiring, and the line is something that may shock and discredit you. So, I pretty much love that. I pretty much love Lionel Hutz. The late, great Phil Hartman voiced him. It was from this episode where he was defending Marge, and um, he tried to disparage somebody else's photographic memory by saying, what kind of tie am I wearing? And they, like, name the tie, and he turns around. He's very obviously taking his tie off, and he says, oh, really? Is that what you think? Well, if that's what you think, then I have something to tell you, something that may shock and discredit you, and that is as follows. And he turns around, I'm not wearing a tie at all. And it felt appropriate. So I stole it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Everything crossed. Yeah. I I hope to one day write 20 books. I hope none of them ever have a plot. I hope... You'll be a literary success. We can just hang out in coffee shops and be like, we've written 20 books that's all we need to talk about is the number 20 and anything I'm going to get a t-shirt. Absolutely. That's fabulous. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it so much. A while back, I had just mentioned uh, in my tiny letter, which is like an email newsletter I send out periodically when the whim strikes me, that I'm always looking for guests, especially guests in the Bay Area, because it's so fun to have somebody physically in the studio with me so that we can make faces at each other. And and, and I believe I wrote you an email that was like, I, I have done all these really cool things and I'm a wreck and please take me on your show and and you were so you're so gracious yeah i was just like yeah any anybody <laughs> wants to volunteer to just like step up and give people advice i'm here for it i'm here all right well let's dive right in cool i'm gonna go ahead and read our very first letter which means that you get to read the second and excellent. so on and so on excellent and the subject line of this one is simply battling overheard sexism dear prudence yesterday my wife and i were out for dinner at a small restaurant and were seated just a couple of feet away from two men who were making sexist comments At first, we rolled our eyes and went on with our own conversation. Toward the end of the meal, the men started talking about how women over a certain age are still attractive, but more, quote, willing to do anything. 
They talked about the things they would do to them, the women that they wouldn't touch, etc. It got vulgar and gross. We were almost done eating, so I silently finished my last couple of bites, then stood up and got us out of there. Should I have done more? We'd had a whole evening planned, but after we left, my wife said she felt anxious and just wanted to go home. If they had been talking in our direction, I would have made it known that this wasn't okay, but I didn't know what the wait staff could do, and since we were at separate tables, I felt we should just ignore them. I understand this is easier for me, a man, than my wife. I made sure to make it clear to her that what they said was not okay, but should I have said it to them? Ick. Yeah, that sounds really unpleasant. I'm really sorry that you were just trying to eat, like, a club sandwich or whatever, and somebody nearby was like, here's stuff I would do to old women and not other women. Because <laughs> they'll take it. Appa- yeah, no, 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 no. Apparently, they're just, you know. <sighs> yeah. Uh, no, and this is tricky because this is, like, it's vulgar, it's disgusting, it's sexist. Um, it, it, I can understand how different people have different criteria for what merits engaging with a stranger in public. Um, and so I can understand how one person might say, um, you know, if they're discussing something uh, uh, violent or illegal um, or, or that is harassment or assault, I would say something. And if it was simply... Uh, the sort of, unfortunately, garden variety sexism that's just gross and disgusting and, and thinks of women as sex objects and nothing else, then I uh, I might not want to get into it with a stranger. So, I, you know, I, I don't know, listening to this, that there was something that jumped out at me where I was like, absolutely, you had a moral imperative to say something and you absolutely failed. So if that's helpful, uh, there's that. But... Um, yeah, that sounded awful. Do you have any thoughts? Does it feel like, There's would you have said something? Would you have wanted, if you were with a guy, for him to say something? It's a, it's a terrible situation for them to be in, and I think that this sounds like a good guy. And he made it clear to her repeatedly that what they said was not okay, which is a really important thing to say. But I think his question is, should I have done more? And the only thing that I was thinking of um, is when we talk about bystander intervention, Mm -hmm. there's the question that you can present to the person who is feeling the most uncomfortable. And that question is, do you want support from me? Do Do you want help from me right now? And then she would have gotten to say... And I don't. I, I'm guessing that he didn't do this because it's not said there. But you know, maybe he did. But if she had said, "Please don't talk to them. I just want to get out of here. I don't want any confrontation," mm-hmm. then it's a really great cue for him to say, "You know, that that's, this is not okay. I'm sorry. This is happening to you." But if she had decided that she would like his relative standing of of, of male privilege to 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 whap a zinger at him when they leave, like you know, we're leaving because you guys are just yeah, or, or yeah, to just terrible. even say something like. This is really sexist and disgusting. Right. Like, you don't have to, like, come up with an amazing movie-quality comeback yeah. and, like, own them. You made um, you made her really uncomfortable. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah and not even, like, a sarcastic thanks, because I feel like then it can kind of get into a sort of, like, we're posturing. I think just even, like, a statement yeah. of, like, what you're saying is really sexist and you should be ashamed of it. Yeah. Um. Because then you don't have to get into that sense. Because, like, I'm sure whatever the response to that would be would not be, "My God, you're right. I'm so sorry." Um, but it, <laughs> the response might be to punch, and that's a, that's another thing to think about. Right? But. Yeah. You know, and that's that's one of those difficult things about something like the sort of sexism that's testing the waters is um, you don't know if the person who's doing like if somebody is willing to in a public space start loudly speculating about the sexual availability of women over a certain age and the things that they would or would not be willing to do, presumably not because they wanted to do those things, but because they felt desperate. Um, you don't know if that's also a person who's going to escalate. Right. Um, and, and they're not even talking in their direction. So right. they had been talking loud enough that that the people in their direction would have been being blasted by this, too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of other people, probably yeah. including their server, yeah. who picked up on some of it and felt really 
really uncomfortable. So I don't necessarily think that you should beat yourself up for doing what you did. I understand why you did it, that you checked in with your wife, that you, you know, spoke with her and said, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really sorry that you had to engage in that. And I don't like it either. Um, and I, th- I think it would have also been appropriate, like as you were leaving, to say something like, this is sexist and disgusting. Um, and to just leave it at that, like you don't have to get into a battle. You don't have to explain why. You can just call what it is. You yeah. can call it what it is yeah. um, and then leave. And that would have been also, I think, an appropriate and a helpful response, even if their response had been to laugh at you um, or right. to make a comment at the expense of your masculinity. Um, that would have been okay to do too. And, you know, you could consider in the future because don't worry, this will happen again. Absolutely. This is a learning lesson. You didn't do anything wrong last time. Mm-hmm. You might do something differently next time. Yes, but yeah, I, I would say to pay attention to that sense of I, I feel internally like something has been left unsaid or unfinished, you know. Uh, sit with that and think, okay, in the future, I-, I would like to do something different. And that's not necessarily to like provoke a fight, um, but to say a word of truth yep. uh, and to just call yep. sexism what it is. Um, and I think that that would be and will be good for you to do. And, yeah. and oftentimes guys like that um, will not listen to women who yeah. say this is sexist and disgusting, and they will listen to another man mm-hmm. um, or are slightly more inclined to. and, and Or will be surprised by it, surprised enough maybe to listen Right, for when, a, when they're called out by another man, yeah. they're like, oh, oh no, another man. What? Wow, I should right. take this seriously. And that obviously is sad and painful in its own right, but that is an opportunity yeah. to you know exercise that, that male privilege for good. And um, I'm glad you were considering these things. And um, yeah, I hate to be like, don't worry, you're going to overhear more <laughs> sexist conversation a lot because society, but you will. You and, will. and you will have other opportunities to to speak up. Good letter. Hooray. And I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Take our next one, will you? Okay. Subject is abandonment. Uh, dear Prudence, my friend Marla, in quotes, had a terrible ex. He had two kids by two different women, couldn't keep a job, and was always broke. Marla thought he hung the moon. Collectively and separately, our fr- group of friends tried to warn her. Marla ignored them or made excuses for him. She called a friend greedy after her ex borrowed a few hundred dollars from him and never paid him back. I took a picture of her ex kissing another girl and sent it to Marla. Marla accused me of stalking her boyfriend to overcompensate for my known neuroses and, quote, they were only friends, end quote. I gave up after that. Marla got her car, finances, and apartment wrecked by him. She nearly lost her job because her ex would come around all the time while she was there and items would go missing. She finally wised up and booted his freeloading butt but is now bitter that we all abandoned her. Marla and I have a significant history together, but every time she throws herself a pity party, I want to wave my text history under her nose. I am sorry she's in such a bad place, but I have limited sympathy for someone who took a shovel, dug a hole, and jumped down in it. I don't know what or if I should say anything. (sighs) I have feels. Do you think that this letter writer should say anything? I don't think she should. I Ooh, give me go and please. I have I have this thing about friendships, and I believe that friendships should be, if we can get them to go this way, be equal and caring. Um, I, th- there's a voice here. There's this. There's this truly unfriendly tone that I pick up, especially in the end of this. She has limited sympathy, and I understand her sympathy has been stretched sure. over the years. Um, but to wave text history under her nose instead of accepting her for who she's trying to be right now, um, that feels a little harsh. It 
perhaps Marla is not throwing a pity party. Perhaps she's just thinking about um, how she wants to do things differently. It, and it, well, it just really doesn't sound like Marla is a good friend, period, at yeah. all. Yeah, but do you, do you think that there is something in between saying nothing and waving the text in history under her nose and sort of saying like something really unkind? Like, do you think there's anything in between that the letter writer can do? Like what? Uh, well, so, I spoiler alert, I do think there's something that the letter writer can say. <laughs> um, and it is neither coming from that place of, uh, you you completely brought this on yourself. You It's all your fault. Yeah, you, you yeah. were just garbage, and everybody was right to abandon you, and you're you're a jerk now. Um, that can't help. No, that just, won't help. And you know, any time that you speak to someone from a place of contempt, yes, it's going to be pretty hard to connect or yeah. listen or understand or share. Um, and it sounds like Marla was in a terrible relationship. Um, based on what you've written here. I don't know that I would say it sounds like he was abusive towards her, but I would just say keep an open mind that that's, you know, Mm. sometimes when a a relationship just looks really messy from the outside, um, I I would encourage you to, when you have contempt in your heart for her, to um, respond to it with curiosity and to talk a little bit about or to ask her a little bit about, like, what was it like for you in that relationship? Did you feel like... um, did you feel like you could trust him? Did you feel safe? Um, did you try to leave him previously? And and what was that like? Like to 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 get some more information about what life was like for her on the inside of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say assume that she was victimized. Assume that she didn't make any of these choices of her you know own volition um, and and completely sweep it all under the rug. But I, I think it will help. Um, reduce some of that contempt if you kind of ask those questions and say, what does it feel like now to be outside of that relationship? Um, you know, what, if anything, have you learned from it? Do you feel like you wish you had done it sooner? Are you glad that you did it when you did? I, I want to know. Um, and then I, I do think you can say, uh, you know, when she says, I feel like I was abandoned, um, you don't have to say, like, you shouldn't feel that way or no, you weren't abandoned. Yeah. You were just a bad friend and everyone was right to leave you. But I think you can say, um, here's what it looks like from our perspective. Um, he treated you really badly. He he took financial advantage of you. He lied. He cheated. And that was so sad for us to see because we want better for you. And when we tried to talk to you about it or to share that information, um, you didn't want to hear it. And so a lot of us got to a point where we felt like, okay, I can't support this relationship because I don't trust or like or respect this guy. But I don't know how to speak to Marla about it because she seems really committed to him um, in a way that makes it impossible to be honest with her. Um, and so a lot of us were in a really difficult position. And that doesn't mean you should feel good. Like, that doesn't mean you have to, like, just accept that everyone walked away and feel fine about it. But it was painful for us. Mm-hmm. We did not want to walk away from you. Um, we felt like that was our only option. My only concern is for uh, our writers. There's there's just this touch of perhaps she wants a little bit of vengeance and mm. and and perhaps she it would be great if dear writer you let that go I don't think you're going to be able to prove to Marla that she did anything wrong if Marla doesn't want to hear that right you don't have any responsibility to back up the way you felt then or the way you feel now you don't have to wave the text history and prove to her what a bad job she did in that last relationship. Mm-hmm. Maybe sit back and see what happens in the future, and and be ex- and and be accepting of what Marla chooses to believe of that past relationship. 
Yeah, and and it is also fair to say if you truly feel like um, Marla is not able to listen what this was like for any of you, and if you feel like all she wants to do is blame everybody else um, uh, for how she feels now, and you do have very limited sympathy for that, um, and you can't find another way to connect or a way to talk about it in a way that feels helpful, um, you know, maybe you will take a step back. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sad. But it's also, you know, she's out of that relationship. Um, Huzzah. Which that's I'm good. very glad to hear. Um, and, you know, she may need to find a different way forward in her future. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's worth trying to have that conversation. Um, it's worth testing the waters. It's worth saying, I'm a little uh, anxious about talking about this with you because I'm afraid that you'll get defensive and angry with me. And I want you to know that I, I do care about you. And I'm very, very glad that you're not with him anymore. I think you deserve so much better. Um, and, and if you can get somewhere with that sort of foundation, then that's really great and meaningful. And if she just absolutely shuts down and doesn't want to hear it and just says, nope, I did everything right and you all just abandoned me because you're not good friends. You know, there's not a lot you could do with that. But so you if, did your best. Yeah, that's that's it, a really good place to stand. Yeah. And I would say before you do that, maybe do some of your venting out, right? Yeah. Get out out of your system that like, and I'm just mad. And these are all the things I've cataloged that she did mm-hmm. wrong so that you are not coming to her with this laundry list of grievances. That can be set off by one thing that she says. Right. You, don't want to, you don't want to accidentally turn that on right. if you're trying you know, to repair and salvage this relationship. Right. Because again, like, uh, you know, again, it's not like there's some big smoking gun, but like um, he, it sounds like he wrecked her apartment. And like, I don't know, does that just mean he was always there and like was a total slob? Or, or, or does that mean that he like destroyed her things in anger and yeah. she possibly did not feel safe to leave him. So if that is a possibility, a very good point. then I think harshness and contempt will only further mm-hmm. to isolate her right. and, and possibly put her in a situation where she would get back together with him. Right. Not that you should feel responsible of course, for that. Gosh, boy, I'm hedging all of my conversational bets today. Um, I think that's safe. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, I would say basically you have a right to say, I, I felt like I had to take a step back because you, you were not able to hear me when I tried to express my concerns to you in that relationship. I'm also aware I was not inside that relationship. I do want to know more about how you felt and whether or not you were safe. I love you and I care about you. Um, I did not whimsically or frivolously abandon you um, mm-hmm. just because I didn't like your boyfriend. I thought the way he treated you was awful. And I, I it caused me pain um, to see you in that relationship. And I may not have responded to it perfectly, but I just want you to know you have always had my love. Um, but it was really hard to watch you go through that. Um, and hopefully you guys can find some way forward through I that. I hope so, too. Um, hope and hopefully so too. that guy just stays far away because yeah, he yeah. sounds like no good. <laughs> All right. So the subject of this line is wedding. Oh, so many wedding questions lately. Fantastic. <laughs> Dear Prudence, my parents divorced when I was 10, and my dad basically checked out of my life until I was 19 when he remarried a lovely woman with three kids of her own. I love my stepmother more than my father. She's gracious, kind, and generally interested in building a relationship with me. My step-siblings are a lot of fun and refer to me as their big sister. My dad deludes himself into thinking we have this great relationship because I stop by and say hi to him before I go shopping with my stepsisters or hiking with my stepmother. He couldn't name my favorite food, best friend, or even what classes I was taking if his life depended on it, but my stepmother could. My father isn't a bad man, but he has not filled a paternal role for me since I was eight. I'm engaged right now. We're paying for the wedding ourselves, but everyone in my family thinks we need their input. I'd rather that my mom walk me down the aisle, but I decided to walk down it by myself to keep the peace. I'm also not doing a father-daughter dance. I did ask both my parents to make a small toast, but my father is sulking. 
He keeps bringing it up in conversation with other people, and I have to defend my choices to random relatives. He doesn't like that my fiancé didn't ask for his blessing before we proposed, and thinks that my keeping my maiden name is, quote, odd. My fiancé doesn't care. His family doesn't care. It's only my father who's making a big deal out of this. He's gone from a generalized disinterest in my life to thinking he's the dad from Leave it to Beaver. How do I handle this? I'm already incredibly stressed from this wedding and work. Is Ward the dad from Leave it to Beaver? Was that it? Mm, I believe Ward, it was. Ward and Ward, June? Ward Cleaver. What was the older brother's name? I have no idea. Wally? He was Wally. I'm going to go with that. I that think That sounds so. right. Sorry, I know this is not at all important, <laughs> but I just suddenly had flashbacks to watching right, so Leave it to Beaver as a kid all the so time. So we're talking, talking about Ward here. Yeah, Ward. I mean, Ward was a pretty, he was doing, he was doing his best by his kids. Um, what do you think about this guy? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand why you do not have a strong paternal relationship to this dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it is totally understandable that you do not feel especially close to him and that you're perfectly happy to be civil to him because you care about um, your step-siblings and your stepmother um, and that his expectations are pretty unreasonable. I like this honorable truth that she's telling, too. I mean, she just comes right out in the front here and says, I love my stepmother more than my father. Yeah. That's a, that's a major thing to admit. And we talk, you know, she goes from the years eight to 19. Um, he's basically gone. Yeah. So, and there, there is this, this. Which are pretty formative years. Those are formative years. And there is that, that feeling of hurt that's in here that I, I want to make sure that we acknowledge. You know, that we, I can, I can tell that letter writer, you are so intelligent about this and about your emotions about this, but it does, it does hurt. That he wasn't around, that you have this conver- this this connection with your stepmom now, um, but that that line that keeps jumping out at me that I circled was, you know, I have to defend my choices to random relatives. No, you don't. Mm. You don't have to defend anything, right? I walked myself down the aisle, and I and and my dad looked on, and and I no one came had, at you with a sword. No, you exactly. Maybe that is maybe that's good for you to hear. No, I, I never had to fight anybody. We actually never had a conversation about it because I didn't want to get into it. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend then, like, uh, if that's happening again, do you, do you think there's something that the letter writer should say? Do you think they should just say, like, it's my choice and I'm excited about it? Let's talk it, about something else? Or yeah, yeah. I love I love repetitive persistence. What did I write down here? Um, let's not talk about the details, but I am so happy that you're coming. Yeah. And then when he says something else or when Aunt says something else, I am. I, let's not talk about the details, but I am so happy that you're coming. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I'm already knee deep in wedding planning. I don't want to talk about the details. Just can't wait to see you. What but are you going to so wear? Thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> um, and hopefully that will deflect the majority of it. If it yeah. doesn't, you can draw a harder line and you can just yeah. say, I'm really happy with the choices I'm making. Oh, I love that line. Yeah. That's a clear boundary, yeah. but it's a very polite, kind one. And I'm sorry. You know, like, I'm just yeah. sorry that your dad bailed on you for so much of your life and is now throwing a tantrum that you're not pretending he fills a role for you that he genuinely doesn't. That sucks. Just because other people are going to be there to witness it. Because that's what it is, right? He doesn't like the idea that strangers are going to think he must not have been a very good mm-hmm. father because he wasn't. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And and to just say as as hard as it can be to see a parent sulking, especially when they try to enlist other family members over it. Um, but to just think my dad can be bummed out. That's fine. Yep. That's not an issue. Um, if you feel like he might say something like passive aggressive at the wedding, then that might certainly be a time to uh, either set aside a, a, a brief talk with him that's like, can you be happy for me on my wedding day? Can you commit to either offering a toast that is genuine and sincere? Or would you rather I don't set aside time for you to do it? Like, are I you not that. capable of doing it? Right. Because if you're not, let me know. 
And I will not ask you to. Yep. And I'll have my stepmom do it because yeah. she sounds great. Don't. Yeah. Um, but you do not have to have a big conversation with your dad, especially it sounds like what works for you now is mostly keeping him at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And if you do not like feel comfortable or safe or trusting of him to have a big conversation about like, actually, dad, here are the reasons I don't walk you to walk me down the aisle because you're not really the dad in my life. I bet he would like to avoid that, too. Or you know? whether he does or doesn't, like, if you don't want to have that conversation, right. you don't owe it to him in order to ask for what you want on your wedding day. Like, if you do ever want to say to your father, it really hurt that you completely left my life um, from the ages of 8 to 19, that's one thing. You mm-hmm. can have that conversation if you ever want to, but you do not have to, especially not to justify the choices you're making now. You, get, you have to justify nothing. Yeah. That is not a conversation you have to have with him if you're like, nope, what works is being like, hey, nice to see you. Going to go hiking with your wife now. Um you can do that, and you do not have to coddle him just because he is sulking. Yeah. But I do hope you have a really lovely day. Yeah. And that there is no sulking around, and, and everybody has a good time. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, if you're already wild stressed about the wedding, I hope you can find ways to either, like, delegate choices to your partner or to other people mm-hmm. or to just say, you know what? It's too much work to care about this aspect. I'm going to not do it. Like, you don't have to make it this, like, big, amazing, perfect thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So give yourself permission to ask for help or to, you know, decide not to care about something you thought you had to care about. Unless you do care about it, which is fine. Um, but, yeah. And, know, I, I, and I think that she actually um, does care. And you can kind of hear it in this echo of how how no one cares but her father. You know, my fiancé doesn't care. My family doesn't care. It is only my father. But there is that that hint from her saying, I really care too. And that, mm-hmm. I want to say to the letter writer, it is okay to care that it's okay that this hurts. Yeah. And it's, it's okay not to fix it right now. It's okay just to worry about the length of your train and the hors d'oeuvres and about how much alcohol you should order. You can... Absolutely. It's it's fine to care and it's fine just to move yeah. on to. And sometimes it'll feel like if somebody leaves a little like loaded conversational nugget, it's like, oh, I have to respond. Yeah, we can just let it lie. Exactly. He can say something passive aggressive. He can be like, I would like another strawberry. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just let those barbs go. All right. Next letter. It's all you. Is that me? Okay. Yeah. This one's great. This one, by the way, originally started with a whole thing of like, I know this sounds fake, but it's not. And I was like, this does not sound fake at all. This sounds entirely plausible. This one stressed me out. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait. All right. The subject is unholy donations. Dear Prudence, I work for a nonprofit and several times per year I solicit donations from local businesses to use in fundraisers like auctions and raffles. My issue is not how to ask for donations, but how to politely refuse them. We're located in an area with lots of metaphysical stores and practitioners, including astrologers, tarot readers, etc., aplenty, and many of these people kindly offer to donate their goods and services without even being asked. The trouble is that my boss is a fundamentalist Christian who refuses to allow such things into our fundraisers. Some of these donations are worth quite a bit of money. For example, recently a psychic donated a gift certificate for a session worth 250 bucks. My boss, however, said that, quote, Satan works through people like that and instructed me to tear it up and throw it in the trash. At some point, I'm sure the psychic will wonder, or perhaps he already knows, why his donation was not used and why he was never officially thanked. My boss is adamant that I should refuse all such donations by saying that we're a Christian organization, but I fear that would only create hurt, discord, and engender a bad reputation for our nonprofit. Our umbrella un- 
organization was founded as non-denominationally Christian, but they work with people of all belief systems, do not discriminate, and strive to be inclusive. I personally practice aspects of many religions and do not believe that any of these metaphysical practices are wrong or immoral. I believe strongly in our organization's mission, but not in the devil. So how do I say no without looking like a hypocrite, hurting feelings, or making us look bad? Before we get into the sort of nitty-gritty of it, I just really like the idea that Satan's primary outlet is, like, psychics. Like, Satan just loves operating right off of a freeway or in small rooms over storefronts. Yes. Just real small-scale petty yes. stuff. Just, like, little neon signs. Just yeah. blinkety-blink. Yeah. Like, like wow. dragging them in. Satan is hung <laughs> up on, like, petty stuff when there's, like, way bigger things out there that satan could be working for i'm also like curious where are all these metaphysical stores and practitioners i mean she must be oh, Berkeley, I assume right? this is in sedona oh i'm totally picturing sedona like just everybody's trying to be like oh i'll take you on a free tour of the vortex or whatever and their boss is just like oh satan is get behind me man oh well i loved this one yeah this was this I sounds totally this was... plausible it, it I, sounds, I do not think this is fake. I do not think it's fake at I all. can absolutely believe this going down at somebody's office. Um, what's your take on this? Uh, my take is, I, I was thinking about it. I don't know why it stressed me out. Maybe I have been on the asking for nonprofit money way too many times. Mm-hmm. So like, it triggered me. Um, but but my, my idea is always, usually I try in my life, this is how I normally do things, and it's not the best way, so I'd like to advocate against it. Um, I try to think of a, 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 a polite lie to dissemble my way out of it, and then I realize, oh, that's going to be just too hard. I might as well tell the, the, the gosh darn truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? But my instant, my gut reaction to this was, was like, just don't tell him. Just don't tell him you're not using it. Wait, and but then, what if the boss shows up at the fundraiser and, like, tears it out of somebody's hands? And th- well, of course, that was where my brain went to next. My next thought was, well, then I'm going to have to have a really good life for that. And that's where oh, my brain gosh. always kicks in and goes, no, Rachel, the truth is best. The honest gosh darn truth. So it is, I, th- I don't know. It seems like a pretty simple answer to me. And I, I want to hear what you think too but just saying because she is the person who solicits and accepts these donations it seems like a pretty simple answer just to say to these people thanks so much for this offer but this year we're only accepting solicited donations and uh, you know and if it makes her feel better if it makes you feel better writer to say you know but i'm making myself a mental note your psychic services sound super cool if i ever need somebody i'm going to come to you but we're going for solicited donations. That seems unnecessary. This year. That seems like trying to make up for an implicit sense of guilt by pretending to be interested in something that you may be putting don't care myself about. in her, her shoes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, that's definitely a great response. Like if you really just want to stick with solicited donations, yeah. um, you can absolutely. Yeah. That's a fabulous line to offer. It's a hundred percent true. Exactly. Um, it's also a little tricky because it's unclear to me. Um, whether or not your nonprofit is a religious organization or whether it simply has either. ties to a, like, vaguely religious organizations. Because it's like yeah. either this is a private company um, that has some religious connections uh, where maybe it is company policy to do some things that you may personally disagree with or uh, it's not and your boss is bringing his personal religious beliefs into mm. the workplace in a way that's actually... Uh, both inappropriate and possibly a violation of company policy. So uh, I think one thing that may prove helpful is to try to get clarity on that. Um, I don't know how big your company is. I don't know if you guys have anything in like 
your HR department, not that you should go to HR and complain about your boss, but like to find out. I'm a little confused about what types of uh, gifts we can and can't solicit. Is there any like official document that we have? Is there consensus? Right. Like um, uh, that would be good information for you to have because, you know, depending on, you know, sometimes if you work for a religious organization, but you yourself have different personal beliefs, uh, you have to kind of figure out uh what am you know what's my what's within my purview to change and, and and what do I have to decide to kind of let go um but then if your boss is genuinely just bringing his personal religious ideals into a secular workplace um I think it's appropriate and fair to um ask for more clarity uh check with other people in the office possibly uh, somebody higher up and, and not to say that you should be like sending emails being like, I think my boss is being a zealot and I want to undermine him. But to say like, I'm genuinely unclear on what our policy is as a company. Do we have one? Um, and if not, would we want to get one? Right. And that's a CYA for yourself, too, because as you are soliciting, who's to say that you don't accidentally solicit the devil when you get a donated car? You know, or or whatever it is you get there, you should it might be really helpful to have that kind of policy in hand. Right. Right. So, you know, I think that that's worth pursuing. You will, you know, you know, your boss better than we do. If you have a sense that there would be potential retaliation, it sounds like he's a fundamentalist and already brings his religious views into the workplace more than um, is appropriate, even for your workplace, Mm -hmm. you know, Bear in mind that we do not want you to get fired over this. So look out for yourself first and foremost. But if you think that um, that there is a chance that there is, in fact, company policy about this or or could be or that your boss's bosses would want to know. Right. Um, to, like because you're not telling on him. Um, you can simply say, so here's here's my situation. Sometimes we get these uh, donations solic- uh, sent to us. Um, and I know that, you know, boss doesn't like them. Uh but I'm not sure if we have a policy about this. Can somebody help me find out more? Yeah. Um, and that's just very clearly saying, here's my problem. I'm not sure. And because she calls it a couple of times or 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 he calls it a, an organization and the organization has a mission, I bet that there is something somewhere written down. Yeah. There's, there's a high likelihood. Yeah. And if there's not, maybe there should be. Yeah. And, and if there's not, like, if, 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 if what happens is you ask that question, your boss helps create the policy, and the policy is no psychics. I'm sorry. I'm going to rip those up and put them in the trash. Um, uh, but at least then there will be a stronger sense of here's what we do as a company rather yeah. than this one guy's personal animus towards yeah. astrology or tarot or whatever is yeah. driving it. Um, but it does sound like you really like your job. Yeah. And you believe in the mission. And it sounds like you are a kind person who is trying to do the right thing. And if you just want to keep it simple, it's, it is okay just to say we are only accepting solicited donations. Yeah. Thanks for your offer. Yeah. So th- that's true. You do have uh, at least one kind of simple strategy for it. By the way, yeah. I, I would welcome hearing from anybody who's more um, experienced in stuff like, yeah. I don't know, employment legislation. <laughs> the freedom of religious expression in private companies, anybody who's worked at a company where something similar happened, psychics, uh, if anybody has like more, um, we would like to know that devil connection or knowledgeable thought about this. Um, we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. All right. Um, so this next letter is called nobody's mother. And this one is, Oh man, this one has just been sitting with me, sitting in my heart. Um, dear prudence, I think I might be trans. 
I'm not ready to come out publicly or anything, and I don't even know if the word fits, but I've always kind of thought of myself as a guy on some level, especially when I was a kid. That is, until my dad beat me for not wanting to wear a dress in a family photo, and my mom told me that I didn't have any friends because I was a freak. This was followed by a trip to the store where I got schooled in how to be a proper girl. I felt humiliated and pushed it all aside for years and years. Recently it's been resurfacing, but I don't know if it's because I know more trans people now or because it's quote-unquote real. Hormone therapy and surgery terrify me, but if I could, with no repercussions, I'd probably go by the the male name I've often thought of myself as, dress more masculine, and use male pronouns. The problem is, I know there would be huge repercussions. I'm married with a young child. About two years ago, I told my husband I didn't think I was straight and suggested divorce for both of our happiness. He called me a selfish sex fiend and refused to acknowledge it. After a year-long battle and being told that I was selfish, having no real financial resources of my own, and being threatened with losing my child, plus not really wanting to leave him because we have a family and home, and before I blew everything up, I did really like spending my life with him, we stay together. I toned down the whole queer thing, meaning I hid all queer social media postings from him, stopped seeing my queer friends, and stayed silent. My child is a huge factor in all my decisions. I don't want to let her down or make her feel abandoned. My husband is also a pretty great partner if I don't shake things up, like changing my entire identity. Based on the whole first coming out reaction paired with offhanded transphobic comments on my husband's part, I don't think it would go well. I don't want to leave my family, and my family doesn't want me to leave either. That is, if I can play the good straight wife and mother, but I just don't know how to keep it up. I wish I could just be my child's dad and my husband's husband, without all the grief and pain I'd cause my family, and the whole permanent physical changes on my part. I love my family, I just don't feel like their wife and mother. What can I do? Don't you just ache? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, This one killed me. Yeah, me too. I just, uh, I wish I could hug this person. Um, I'm just so, like, if nothing else, letter writer, um, I'm so glad that you wrote to us. I'm so glad that you shared what you know about yourself. Um, I'm so sorry that your whole life, every attempt to come out has been met with rage, repression, threats of violence, violence, cruelty, transphobia. Um, that there has not been a a place of safety for you in your own family, that they have failed you so spectacularly. I'm just so sorry. Um, and that's not an answer to your problem, but I just, um, if if nothing else, I th- like I think you know um, that their response to you has been bad, but um, it's been bad. I just want to acknowledge and affirm that, that it has been bad, and um, that what you are experiencing now this forced recloseting is traumatic, it's abusive, it's transphobic, and it's wrong. And I'm so sorry. I love that you labeled it. Because calling this, fam- you know, from a, from a small child writer, you have suffered from family abuse. From, and I'm, I'm sure you have a whack of PTSD sitting on your shoulders, and then you are in a currently abusive relationship. And those are really, really big words. Yeah. And they're not easy for me to say, and they're not easy for us to read. And I just want to applaud, again, your bravery for sending this letter. Yep. And I also, 
I also want to address like because so much of me just wants to say like just get out come move in with me transition bring your kid with you it's going to be great but i'm also very aware that there are states where um you can be punished in terms of a custody agreement for something like coming out Mm -hmm. and trying to transition Mm -hmm. and um i wish so much that i could say that that would not uh I wish I could tell you that if you wanted to come out and transition and leave your husband, that you would be able to continue to see your child and that you would be safe. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, man, this one's um, this one's really painful, but I can't promise you that. And I wish that weren't the case. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't have options. That doesn't mean that your only choice is to stay in the closet for the next, you know, 18 years um, and suffer this abuse. Because make no mistake, the fact that your husband used to be a good partner before you tried to tell him you were trans and after you have forcibly recloseted yourself, he's not a good partner. Mm-hmm. Um, his love for you is conditional on performance um, and passing yourself off as cisgender. And um, I'm so sorry. And the fact that he would threaten to take your child away from you over your gender identity, um, he's not a good husband. And and you make that really clear in the letter, too. My husband is a pretty great partner if I don't shake things up, like changing my entire identity. What I'm hearing you say is that he wants you to stay the person that you're not. You're not changing your entire identity. You're trying to become whoever it is you're going to become in this life. And a pretty great partner supports you right. in that finding of your true essence. He's not allowing any of that essence to be acknowledged or honored or even discussed. Right. Right. And that's the, that's it exactly like that sort of like forced cis-normative perspective of... Things need to stay the way that they are. You're trying to change them rather than what it is, which is I I am asking of you, I am threatening you with the loss of your child to closet yourself every day of your life. Um, that's changing someone's, that's denying someone's right to autonomy and self-expression. And that's such a violation. Um, so with all that said, I think if there's any way that you can maintain some form of contact with some of your queer friends. Mm -hmm. I hope you're able to do that. Obviously, I don't know if your husband is monitoring any of your communications. I certainly wouldn't put it past him. Um, But if there's a way for you to stay in even occasional touch um, through some channel of communication that you feel safe doing, just to let them know how you are doing and to be periodically getting support from other queer people, I think that will be so helpful to you. I hope that you can give yourself that. I understand why you feel that you've needed to hide it um, on social media. Um, I, I, I understand that that is a self-protective choice. Um, but if there's any way that you can keep any of those lines of communications open, I think that will be really helpful. Um, if you have the ability to access um, a, a, a trans competent therapist or even to uh, attend a, a support group for uh, trans people or gender nonconforming or non-binary people, just anybody who would have any sort of experience that was similar to yours. Um, and there's a way that you could access that even if it's just once a month um, or, or even just to call um, the trans lifeline. Um, that's a support group of people it's, mm-hmm. it's it's all volunteers i'm not saying that that could replace a, a, a therapist um necessarily but but if you're just in a time when you think i just need to talk to somebody um that i can be out to um y- you can call the number is uh 877 
565-8860. And it's just dedicated to the well-being of transgender people. Um, It's staffed by transgender people and it's for transgender people. Um, Sorry, I, uh, man, I just, um, I I feel for you so deeply. Um, And please know that you can call them anytime and there will be somebody who will listen, um, who will hear you. any 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 chance that you can have to open a little space in your life where you do not have to be closeted, um, even if you can't share that with your husband, um, even if you have to decide really carefully or judiciously where you feel safe doing that, I encourage you to do that um, because you deserve it. You you know you have the right to share about this, be honest about this, express this um, somewhere in your own life, um, and you need that. You need that right now because right now your whole family um, is trying to closet you and and that's damaging to the heart um so anywhere that you can find that whether or not you can share that with your husband if you need to keep that hidden holy shit keep that hidden and 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 take care of yourself um and if that means you know frankly saying you've got like a regular quote-unquote regular therapy appointment or a doctor's appointment and going to get what you need please do it again like take care of yourself i I don't want to say like Put yourself in a position where if he is following you or, or, or watching the things that you do or say, he might endanger you. But um, if you see an opening for any of those things, please take it. For some reason, I'm I'm imagining, and this is just my imagination, that you are in a very small town. Um, I don't know why that, I think that, but, but I want to point out that um, not only are we listening to you, but everyone who listens to the po- this podcast— we are all listening to you and supporting you. And and I want to go back to what you said about your child, that you don't want to let her down or make her feel abandoned. Um, you taking care of yourself in this way, reaching out, thinking about who you truly, truly are, is the best way to take care of her. And I know that you already know this. This is, this is automatic for you as a parent. But the more you know yourself and take care of yourself, the more she will learn how to take care of herself for the rest of her life. Right. And, and, and that's not to say, you know, leave your husband tomorrow. Right. Uh, do right. all of those things. Because I also understand that there is a real chance that he could try to keep you from seeing mm-hmm. her. Um, and I understand the validity of that fear. And I also think, like, if you are ever able to talk to um, a divorce attorney— just for like an hour, just make the appointment. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're going to like start calling you and saying, when are you going to divorce the guy? But you can right. just say, um, you know, uh, under the, the banner of uh, lawyer client confidentiality, I am trans. If I were to leave my partner, um, what would be my options? Um, could he come after me? Um, could I be denied custody on the basis of my gender identity? What do I have to do? Yeah. So get so just arming yourself with mm-hmm. information because you may not be able to make your move today or tomorrow, um, but it, it may help um, help you keep your, your, your sanity and a sense of solace to think um, this will not be forever. Um, I can, all the things that I want to access, going by male pronouns, um, you know, changing aspects of my presentation. Um, you, you, you do not have to contemplate surgery or hormone replacement therapy or anything that does not feel like it's right for you. Right. Um, but any of the things that you do want, um, I believe that you can have those things. And I hope so much that you're able to take care of yourself right now so that someday, um, hopefully sooner than later, when the time is right for you to get somewhere that you are safe, um, you, you, you are able to do so. Um, and and just because, sorry, I know we're we're taking a long time on this one. You you know, you just say 
I don't know if these thoughts or feelings have been resurfacing just because I know more trans people or because it's quote unquote real. And I just want to say to that, um, being trans is not, uh, if there's not something real there, you could have all the trans friends in the world and it would not change your feelings about your own gender identity. Uh, it, it might incline you to sort of check in about it a little more. You might think more often about your own gender identity and expression, but it would not um, induce feelings that were not already present within you on some real and meaningful and legible level. Um, and legitimate level. And, yeah. Very, uh, very legitimate. And legitimate. And you do not have to um, retcon your life into a narrative in order to justify your feelings. Or to justify being trans. If you say you're trans, you're trans. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, I, I, I can imagine, especially given the reaction you've gotten from your own family members over your life, um, there may be a sense within you of constantly scanning yourself for signs of illegitimacy or coming up with reasons why this is not real for you. Um, why you should not want the things that you want, why you should not feel the way that you feel. And I think that that is, you know, the transphobia you have experienced from your loved ones at work. Um, and I would just say, uh, yeah, your, your your trans friends are not making you trans um, so much as I think it may highlight for you, I want that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think sometimes there's this thought of, if I didn't used to consciously think about being trans, and now I know more trans people, and I do, you know, is that causative? Um, no, I think it's pretty hard to convince a cisgender person that they are trans simply by putting them around trans people. Um, so uh, to, to whatever degree this is helpful, I would say uh, uh, don't worry so much about whether or not this is quote unquote real by saying like, does this fit the like one true trans narrative? Because there's not just one. Um, and everything that you've described to us sounds, um, you know, profound. Mm -hmm. It sounds deeply rooted in, in, in your core sense of self. Um, it sounds like a fervent desire of your heart. Um, and it's just, you should be able to have that. I want that for you. And I just want you to know I love you. Uh, and I'm so sorry. Um, there's nothing wrong with what you were going through. And I'm just sorry that you're not being met with um, uh, more love or compassion or understanding. Yeah. Woo! All right. Well, I have bawled enough over this microphone for one afternoon. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next letter. Please uh, take it away. I've heard enough of my own voice today. Okay. You're going to laugh at me, though, but I don't have that letter. You didn't send oh, it to me. Oh, it's a voicemail. That's why. It is a voicemail. Uh, but this one is just called Exploitative Workplace. So neither one of us gets to read it. We'll hear somebody Great. else's voice. Mm -hmm. Fresh. Dear Prudence, I work for a large healthcare organization. Technically, my title is secretary, but I also do graphic design work. I have been doing graphic design work for the fundraising arm of our organization for the last four years since I have started there. At first, it was fun. I enjoyed doing things that reminded me of my past history of working in graphics and animation and, frankly, making more money than I do now. So it was never a problem to whip out little jobs for people. However, the person who is the head of the fundraising department has become more and more demanding of my time. On Friday, I had to drop everything that I was doing and work uninterrupted for about five hours on a job that she needed for Monday morning. 
and she held it over my head that she was going to call the head of our corporate division and complain if I did not do this job for her. The deadline was just about impossible, but I did it. I feel like I'm being pushed into an uncomfortable situation. I don't like the feeling of being basically blackmailed by a threat to call corporate, and I don't know what to do. I'm not being paid anything extra for this work, and I feel like my own creativity has boxed me into a place where I can no longer say no. I'm in, I'm at my wit's end, Prudence, if you can help me. You sound like you're at your wit's end. I'm so sorry. Oh, man. That sucks. Yeah. This guy sounds like a jerk. <laughs> this company sounds like a jerk. You do not sound like a jerk, though. Yeah. What do you think uh, What do you think they could do? I would love for you to look at your job description and remind you again, remind yourself again, of what you are hired for, what you're paid for. Um, it sounds like you have really enjoyed helping in the past, and now that urge to help your corporation, this large health company, um, is biting you in the ass. Uh, did the caller make it clear if she is, she's not going to create any extra, but she's not doing this for free. She's doing this on the company dime. Doing this on company time, but right. certainly like it may very well be preventing her from getting yeah. her actual listed job duties done. Um, I'm curious, uh, who is your boss? Yeah. Uh, like, you don't mention your own supervisor. If you have one and they're supportive, I think you should absolutely, like, go to them and say, you know, here's how much time I have to get my own duties done in the week. Periodically, someone will ask me to do something. And while I'm often happy to help, um, they will sometimes offer me deadlines that get in the way of the job duties you hired me to do. You know, what do you want me to say about those? And if you have a good boss, you know, hopefully they will say, you know, you can pa- you can push back and say I won't be able to do that. And if they have further questions or they get upset, they can talk to me. It sounds like she has that extra wrinkle, though, that you kind of love doing this. So if you say, no, I don't want to do this extra work, then will you never be able to help in graphics again, which is something that you liked to help well, with? Well, yeah, and you don't have to say, like, I don't want to do it. You can just say, I take this on when I have the time. I don't have the time right now. Right, right. And frankly, like, if you know your own job description— and uh, and this, it is there somewhere. This yeah. is a large company. Yeah. It is written out. I bet it says nothing about graphics. And, and this person design. says, "I'm going to call the head of the corporate division if I, if you don't. You can just say, go for it. <laughs> Please do. Absolutely. And then if they, they ask said. me, I will say, here is my job description. Periodically, I take on additional, uh, you know, volunteer work helping out with graphic design. I'm not always able to do so because I'm doing the job I was hired to do. Mm-hmm. You're in a pretty strong position. Yes. I think it can feel hard when somebody who, like, technically outranks you, like, abuses their rank He's like yelling that. yelling at you. Uh, yeah. But she actually does not have anything on you. Right. And unless you work at, like, a really messed up company where you would get in trouble for doing extra work on the side that's helpful, <laughs> I, have, I hope either your boss or this, you know, hypothetical head of corporate whatever uh, would see pretty clearly... Yeah, this person has an actual job they have to do. Right. And they don't have time for your problems. And you say it really clearly. You you absolutely know what the problem is. And using that kind of truth with whoever you are going to talk this over with yeah. is going to work for you. Yeah. And of course you get to say no. Please don't feel like yeah. the fact that sometimes you said yes means you have to say yeah. yes all the time to everyone. You know your own schedule. 
you know how much time you need to get your like listed job duties done in a week. If you have time on top of that and if your boss is okay with it, um, you can, you know, according to your own discretion, take on some additional work when you feel like it. If you want to. And if you don't have the time, frankly, even if you do have the time but you don't want to, you can say, I'm not able to do that. Good luck. Perfect. Yeah. And this person sounds like a jerk. <laughs> I know. I'm really glad that we don't work for that person. I and too. I hope that you don't work for that person ever. Like, that's just a peripheral person. Yeah. But you absolutely get to say yeah. no. This person is not yeah. your boss. This is not your job description. Um, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. No, you are not. And like. At all. Yeah. And the fact that you've done some of this previously does not mean that you are now, you know, committed to doing it forever whenever anyone wants it. Mm-hmm. So. You're doing great, and I'm really sorry that this person is being such a jerk to you. Um, and Rachel, what a treat, Mallory! Oh my goodness, we really ran the gamut of emotions today. My emotions are like so soothed, and also so I just I just want I want to go out on the street and start hugging people. I feel just in case a, they need a, a hug. Combination of like heightened and purified. <sighs> like we have been through some sort of catharsis together, uh, and now I have to find a new way to live in the world. I need, I need like a, a, a fizzy bubbly drink. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dillon. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Hey, have you checked out Slate's Represent? If not, you should. Every week, smart and creative people join Slate culture writer Aisha Harris to discuss the latest film, TV shows, and happenings in Hollywood. Download and subscribe to Slate Represent on your podcatcher of choice for thoughtful conversations on race, gender, sexuality, and more with critics and thinkers. Woo! We're done?